Hey folks, my name is Andy Sido. I'm a musician, producer, and songwriter living now in Nashville, Tennessee. And my guest this week is Christian drag queen songwriter, Flamey Grant. Welcome back to Middle Class Rockstar. Hey, thanks for tuning in again this week, episode number 122. A um, couple fun ones. The last couple weeks, I had Bill McKay on a couple weeks back, uh, who was the keyboardist in the Derek Trucks band for a while and then Leftover Salmon and has just played with a lot of awesome people. Um, and he talks about all of that as well as um, addiction, some at the end, and it's just a great conversation. And then last week I had Big Sky bonus tracks on, and, and that's not a typical guest for me. I usually chat with artists, and I mean, I mean like musicians uh, specifically. They are artists, but I usually chat with musicians, and uh, the folks over at Big Sky bonus tracks, they do high-quality videos for musicians in Montana. They're based out of Red Lodge, Montana, and that's their thing. And they're very high quality videos in their video series. So you can check out their YouTube channel or check them out wherever. Um, but listen to the podcast too, a little bit about their story and what they do. That's Big Sky Bonus Tracks, episode 121. My guest today is Flamey Grant. Um, I met Flamey at Kerrville Folk Festival back in May of this year, 2023. Uh, we were both finalists in the songwriter competition. Flamey was one of the winners. I've met so many of my guests that I've had on this podcast. If you've been listening for a while from Kerrville, um, I'm a two-time finalist now, and I've met so many cool people through that or at that um, through the Kerrville Folk Festival, and that's down in Kerrville, Texas. It's an 18-day festival. <laughs> I could never stay for all 18 days, I don't think, because... Uh, it's hot. It's hot. It's really hot. But people do. People stay there for 18 days. Can you imagine? Also, financially, I couldn't stay there at 18 days for 18 days. That's the main reason. But people do it. People do it. It's it's a wonderful community. Anyway, that's where Flamey and I met. Uh, Flamey is a Christian drag queen songwriter, um, wonderful lyricist. Uh, obviously, if, if you win Kerrville, you're a wonderful lyricist. Uh, they don't um, that that's what they're judging on is is your lyrics. So great songwriter, also a wonderful vocalist, has a a gigantic voice that fills up the room effortlessly. And I would know. We just did two shows together in St. Louis and Cincinnati uh, with two other Kerrville folks, Hallie Neal and Sadie Gustafson Zook, who I'm sure uh, will be on the show at some point. Um, but anyway, we met at Kerrville. Then shortly after that. Um, a pastor, worship leader, very right-wing uh, person tweeted, I believe it was on Twitter, tweeted about um, one of the songs, Good Day, on Flamey Grant's album, Bible Belt Baby. And it was a very negative tweet, a very negative comment. Um, but it had the opposite effect that I think uh, he was hoping. Because what ended up happening was Flamey shared it, and there was a little bit of back and forth, and Flamey challenged their fan base to say, hey, let's, let's put this song on the iTunes charts. And that's exactly what happened. And not only that, the song went to number one on the iTunes Christian charts, and the album 
Bible Belt Baby also went to number one on the iTunes uh, Christian charts, and it happened in one day. Amazing. Um, since then, Flamey has, has continued to tour. Um, Flamey and their husband recently moved from San Diego to Asheville, North Carolina, and um, they've been the subject of of a couple feature articles in Rolling Stone. So a lot of exciting stuff happening, and I, I'm not going to talk about it too much more. I'll jump into the interview, um, and Flamey will tell you about it. But I want to mention really quick, if you enjoy this podcast and want to help out in a non-monetary way, give it a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It just takes a second, and it's a huge help. Um, and if you'd like to uh, support in a monetary way, then you can do so at patreon.com slash Andy Sido, S-Y-D-O-W. You can become a patron for as little as $3 a month. I post up early content. I post up exclusive content. um, And I'm running a promotion where I'm doing a custom cover for everyone who joins. So you join the Patreon and you say, I want you to cover Betty by Taylor Swift or Murder in the City by Avett Brothers or True Love Ways by Buddy Holly. Those are the last three that came in. Um, and I'll do that for you, uh, and I'll record it high quality in my home studio and post it. And uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a blast to do those, and I think people are enjoying them as well. Uh, quick thanks to our sponsor, Narrator Music, for simple and affordable licensing for sync. Visit narratormusic.com. All right, let's do the show. My conversation with Flamey Green. <laughs> Flamey, what's happening? Hi, Andy. You know, just a regular old Thursday hanging out with you on Zoom. Yes, we do this every Thursday. Every Thursday. This is very normal <laughs> for us. Yeah, well, I guess it's been not even a week since I since I uh, saw that's, you last. That's true, yeah. I'm getting lots of, of good Andy time these days. It's it's really fabulous. Lots of saw each other in Austin and then in illinois and kentucky and i'm seeing you again right it uh well in folk alliance folk alliance yep yep so you get a few month break oh thank goodness yes (laughs) those are fun shows and uh oh my gosh you know yeah we met through kerrville kerrville folk festival and i've met so many great friends through that and uh, it's a cool community I loved it so much. I went into that. That was like my first um, experience doing something that was really just designed for like the songwriters and and really the industry. It was like very much an industry insidery event. It feels that way, even though I know like a lot of people come and, and just enjoy the music and are, are consumers of music. Like Kerville still felt like I was just meeting people who'd been doing music their whole lives, you know, at every turn. And it was right. really fun for me to get to feel like part of a community of songwriters. When I feel like every time I check social media, you're playing a show with a Kerrville person. You know, you're doing something with <laughs> yeah. Jackson, who I just did a run with, and I just keep seeing stuff. So that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, Olivia and I have got a couple shows coming up this this next week, and of awesome. course, I just spent two nights with you and Sadie and Hallie, and that was a blast. So yes, yeah. You could so, just make a whole career just touring with Kerbal people. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> um, so a couple things recent for you. Uh, Fortune Teller, your newest yeah. single just came out on the October 24th, right? 
I, yes. <laughs> you know the date better than I do. I, I was fact like, check. Was that the date? <laughs> Uh, I love it. You do your research. Yeah, it was actually supposed to come out on Friday the 13th. I was so excited to try and do like a spooky season drop, but we just couldn't get it all ready, you know, with enough lead time to get it out on that date. So I pushed it. It's it still made it out before Halloween. So it's still spooky season. But but yeah, that song just dropped. And how's it been received? Um, People either seem to adore it or absolutely despise it. Um, and you can pretty much draw those lines between like um, evangelical Christians and then the rest of the world. <laughs> well, hey, that's that's not so bad then, huh? <laughs> no, 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 I'm not too worried about it. <laughs> it did, it did uh, really well. I got um, all the way up to so, so i don't know for for your listeners who may not know i am a drag queen i i perform i'm a singer songwriter who performs in drag yeah i am also weirdly placed in the like christian music world um and there's weird backstory to all of that that we can or cannot go into whatever whatever you want to do but um just so so those are the facts like drag queen christian music like singer songwriter and i dropped this single uh october 24th as you as you knew and it um made it all the way to the number two spot on the itunes christian charts which um is a cool thing you know like it's it's a chart and it's there and it's cool like yes itunes are kind of it's a bit of a relic of you know the like first decade of the 2000s when not not a lot of us buy our music as an mp3 anymore we mostly stream but itunes is still there and you can still buy mp3s and when people do uh if, if enough people do then you get on the itunes charts and so that happened to me over the summer with another song of mine and so i thought i'd try to repeat that success uh, we did not make it to number one because Damn it, Reba McIntyre loved on a song that got played on The Voice. And so everybody went and bought that song. And uh, I just couldn't quite crack it. So it's all what is fault. What does Reba know? <laughs> what does Reba know about music? Uh, uh, yeah, we, we love we love Reba for the record. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in, I want to get into all the iTunes stuff, but to go... And and just everything that's been going on the last few months. But to just go back a little bit, talk about your upbringing a little bit, how you first got into music and, uh, you know, your upbringing with the church as well. I know it was a big yeah. part of your foundation. Yeah, I mean, like so many of us, I, I grew up in the church and, and church was my first outlet for music. So whether that was, you know, singing in choirs or doing what we called special music, you know, like back in the day, you would go to the Christian bookstore and you would buy your favorite song, but buy it on a special cassette that was just instrumental. And it was called like praise tracks, you know, with an X or something like that. And you would like pop it in your sound system or boom box or whatever your church had in the nineties and you would sing along to it. And so I grew up pretty much exclusively listening to that kind of like nineties Christian music. I, I, I wasn't allowed to listen to pop music. I kind of grew up in a strict family. So, um, so yeah, that was my whole world. And that was what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a CCM superstar, like, obviously, Amy Grant, Michael Levy Smith, Stephen Curtis Chapman, these were like the big names in my world. And, um, you know, uh, 
as I, I grew up and discovered uh, that I was queer, that I had a queer identity, that dream no longer made sense or was possible because queer folks are not welcome or not accepted in the world of Christian music. And um, so, you know, I've, I've lived a whole lifetime between then and now, but um, started doing drag during the pandemic. Uh, it was just something I had always been curious about. And uh, I don't know, it just snowballed. It snowballed. I started painting my face in my bedroom and the next thing I knew I was recording a whole album as my drag character, Flamey Grant. And um, I decided to release it in that contemporary Christian genre because it was kind of about it, it not kind of it is it's very much about like my spiritual journey my upbringing in that really kind of high demand religious evangelical world um and how i got to where i am today as this <laughs> like spiritually inclined drag queen and um so yeah that's that's the the quick and dirty version and you mentioned that your your dreams changed a little bit when or you know you thought they might not be possible when you realized when did you realize that you were gay what how old were you i mean i knew i was different by like third grade yeah. but i didn't have words for it i was so like my world really was so small and so protected from um experiencing anything outside of our little tiny christian culture so I didn't have words for what being gay was probably until middle school or maybe even high school. Well, maybe middle school. I'm sure I knew what it was by middle school, but like, yeah, I like by third grade, I knew that I was not um, fitting in in the same way that all the other boys in my class seemed to have no problem fitting in. And, um, you know, I wanted to hang out with the girls. I wanted to, you know, I had always had the impulse to like play with my mom's makeup and stuff, but that was not, okay in my family you know i got kind of in trouble for that and shamed for that so um you know i spent most of middle school and high school just like learning to cover and learning to mask and pretend i was straight and pretend i was just like everybody else um, or what i thought everyone else was like because i just didn't know that there were other queer people in the world i didn't know there was a whole queer culture i didn't know any of that because i just was like I said, protected from it. So yeah, pretty did, early. Did you try to stray away from it though, in intentionally for a while and say, well, maybe this isn't, maybe this is just a phase or something. Oh yeah. Like I hoped against hope that it was a phase. Like I desperately wanted to be straight because to me, it felt like that was the only way I was going to have a happy, fulfilling life. Um, I, I had no, representation of queer people. I didn't know queer people could be happy. Uh, in fact, you know, I was told by like family members and my church and stuff like, it was like, yeah, gay people like all go to hell and are miserable. And there's no such thing as a healthy gay relationship or a healthy gay marriage. Those just don't exist. Um, so this is I your was family too. Sorry. This is your family too. Yeah. Yeah. My family was, I mean, this messaging was coming from my parents, from my grandparents, from everybody um so it wasn't i honestly believed that you know i went up, up through college even like i went to a christian college so even there like the opportunities to learn about queerness and the queer culture were pretty slim um so it took a it took a long time like late bloomer is just a like theme through my whole life because i feel like i was just so 
so kept from from actual what what the world was is actually like yeah yeah it would there have been a i mean what would you have thought as a young christian in church elementary school middle school if you now had come into that church and performed in yeah. drag what would you thought what would you have thought of yourself then would you have had would you have been like oh my gosh my hero or would there have been some conflicting emotions there yeah it would have been conflicting i would have been of two minds about it because on the one hand i mean i was super drawn anytime i could get any kind of information at all about wait like there's other pe gay people like you know lesbians are a thing what like i i remember being so fascinated by ellen when uh you know kind of the firestorm around her coming out and her character coming out on her sitcom in the 90s and so i i like secretly taped and watched that show even though i wasn't allowed to and um really you weren't allowed to watch ellen no i wasn't allowed to watch ellen <laughs> <laughs> so many things i was not allowed to watch um uh dawson's creek was another one that i was not allowed to watch but i snuck and watched that i loved that show and it had some like gay storylines and so i remember being drawn to these things when i could find them obviously but i also had that internal um voice that had been kind of uh instilled in me to say oh this is bad like you shouldn't be watching you should be running from this so i think i would if i saw like myself come in or a drag queen come in and sing the songs that i'm singing today like I think part of me would have been very intrigued and curious, and then another part of me would have been really scared to pursue that curiosity. Right. So that's just a thing that only time can can really time and exposure to uh, other people can can really change for you. And and how does your family feel now? Are is is your family on board with your career now and and <laughs> with you as a person? Ah, uh, um. Depends on which family member you ask, but, you know, a lot of them are really cool. Um, a lot of family members that I didn't know were, like, we just didn't have a close enough relationship growing up for me to know that they were, like, totally, like, LGBTQ affirming and, like, awesome. Um, and then there are some family members who definitely do not get what I'm doing, do not understand, and don't really want to understand, and um, so... You know, it's everybody's on a journey. I was on mine for a really long time. I'm still on mine. I mean, it took me years to be comfortable with myself. So um, if people, if my family members are curious about it, I'm willing to talk to them. And if they are judgmental about it, then I have no problem, you know, being like, yeah, okay, well, then you don't get access to me or my life. Like, that's a boundary for me. You have to, you have to at least have some kindness in your approach some kindness in your spirit uh towards queer people and um if yeah. you don't then I'd, i don't have time for that i have plenty of chosen family which is kind of the beauty of being a queer person is that you grow up and you find your people and uh so i don't you know i don't really need the whole family to be on board <laughs> and what i mean the time between the pandemic when you recorded this album yeah. as as your drag character, Flamie Grant, in college. I mean, what what did you do in that entire time? You were a worship leader for a long time, right? Yeah, I was. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I mean, starting in, like, high school, I taught myself guitar. And uh -huh. uh, I was, I, I went to a Christian high school. So we had, uh, on our student government association, one of the positions was chaplain. 
Um, so, you know, you had like president and vice president and secretary and then chaplain. Oh my <laughs> and gosh. I ran for chaplain and won. And so my senior year, I was chaplain and I would lead our, our worship services at school. And that's why I taught myself guitar was to be able to do that. And from there, <clears throat> college, I did the same thing, a lot of worship leading. And then my first, I, I moved to Reno, Nevada, like right out of, I, I dropped out of school after two years, moved to Reno, Nevada, um, and had a day job, but was also working on the side for a mega church there leading worship. And I mean, that thing just, I just kept that going for a good two decades. Um, the first decade was in more like evangelical conservative churches, like what I grew up in. And then as I became, as I came out and became more comfortable with myself and um, all of that, I moved into churches that were affirming and accepting of queer, queer folks. And, but up until literally like last year, like a year ago, basically a little over a year ago, um, I was still leading worship at a, uh, an inclusive affirming church in San Diego where I was living at the time. And so, yeah, it was a, a a lot of, you know, worship songs on Sunday mornings. <laughs> what, what made you stop uh, doing it last year? Um, I would have stopped earlier. Honestly, I was kind of over it and done, except for I was just really loyal to that church community. They were really good people, and I had good friends there. And I just felt, you know, like it was really just the relationships that kept me there. But the reason I stopped was because the church folded, it closed. Um, it was kind of a casualty of pandemic and not in a really bad way. Like it was an, an intentional thing. Like we decided, yeah, I think this church has run its course and like, let's close and I'll move on to new ventures. But I was personally, internally really happy to finally, like I'd, I'd been wanting to stop being a worship leader for a while um, or at least doing that kind of quote unquote ministry. Um, and it it couldn't have come sooner, frankly. <laughs> and did you write songs during this whole this whole period as well? Yeah, yeah. I was. I mean, I've kind of spread myself across a lot of different like genres and 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 uh, like just places where I would perform my music. So I, obviously, I would I would write music for our, the churches I led at, and so write like what people would probably call worship songs. Um, a couple of them even made it onto Flamey's record. Um, like Good Day and I Am Not Ashamed were songs that we sang in my last church. Um, but then I also off and on would pursue like my solo songwriting career. I, I was, I had a, I would perform under the name Matthew Blake, uh, which was my government first and middle name. And and then I also was in a band called Girl Boy, which was with my, my partner in that band, uh, She's a, a a white girl, a lesbian rapper from like Central California, <laughs> and we uh, we just met and became friends and started. We did karaoke one night, and we were like, "Huh, should we like do something? Should we blend our our what we do?" And we did. Like, she would rap, and I would sing the hook, and we we you know we had a good run in San Diego. We never like got big or anything, but we had an yeah. audience in San Diego and played cool. all the time and had a great time. We recorded like two and a half albums together. Wow. So yeah, it was two fun. and a, two and a half. Does that mean it's not done yet or, or is it? Well, no, just like one was an EP. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and you seem to have a, uh, you seem to have an affection for karaoke nights. 
I do. Yes. Yeah. I, one of my first gigs in drag, uh, when the world started to reopen after pandemic was I, I, I got a hosting gig for like a Friday night karaoke, um, at a cabaret bar in San Diego. So that was where I learned to basically be a drag queen and host events and, you know, be cheeky and make people make sure everybody's having a good time. And, um, so I loved, loved that. It was a lot of fun. I still love to go to karaoke nights. Oh, as you know, as we did at uh, in uh, B uh, Bell Belleville, Illinois, we did right. Yes, in the outskirts of St. Louis, last <laughs> Wednesday, we all went over there after the show and and did karaoke. We sure did, and I like dragged you out there, and you were like, "I don't know the song," and I was like, "Everybody knows uh, who, who was w Wilson Phillips. Everybody knows Wilson Phillips. Get out here." <laughs> and I didn't. I'm ashamed. I didn't know the song. <laughs> But it doesn't matter with that song. You just have to have a good time. That's you know it's what? kind of the point of like all karaoke. It's like be a little drunk, have a lot of fun, then everybody else is gonna have fun. Well, you know what? It took me about three minutes to getting used to being up there, and then the song was over, and I was like, you know what? I would do another one, but that was it. That was <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Uh... Did you have any other careers that you want that you had considered getting into you know you're involved in the church as the worship leader you're doing music on and off doing different genres uh was there something else that you ever thought i might do that instead i mean i i've always had a, a day job uh, until, uh up until about two months ago so I've, I've worked mostly in nonprofits, and i've done a lot of marketing communications some like program development um but mostly, yeah, mostly the, the communication side of nonprofits. I've worked for like a theater, for animal rescue organization, um, like cultural programs, uh, that kind of thing. So, but those were never, like, that was just always the things, those are the things I stumbled into to pay the bills. I never like dreamed of being a nonprofit. I never dreamed of any of the the day jobs that I, I did, a lot of them were really good. And I had a great time and have good friendships from them and everything. But it wasn't like the passion of the dream. I always wanted to do something with music. Like that was really the only thing from the, from the time I knew, like basically who Amy Grant was, like that, that you could have a career as a singer. Mm -hmm. And at the time, obviously singing for Jesus, <laughs> like that's all I wanted to do. Um, so I mean, I guess in college, I kind of flip-flopped a little bit. This is part of why I dropped out of college was because I didn't know, I, I didn't have like clear direction on what my major should be or, or anything like that. Cause I was going back and forth between like French. Um, my mom was a French teacher. And so I loved French in high school and college. And then music, I, I, I at one point I was like a French major and then I went to music major and then I went to theater major and then like English major. So it was just all over the place in terms of that stuff. But the arts have always like held my interest the most, whether that was music, sometimes theater, but mostly music. And so when you made this decision to take, to, to, to be Flamey Grant yeah, and record this record, uh, you're saying it happened during the pandemic. That's when you first got into drag seriously as well, correct? Yeah. I, I went in drag in Halloween of 2019. That was like the, my first time doing full drag. Um, 
and it was, you know, for a laugh, but I had such a good time that I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. And I went to like a couple house parties in drag. And then, yeah, pandemic hit. And suddenly I was sitting at home twiddling my thumbs, you know, in between work assignments. And, you know, none of us had anywhere to go. We couldn't leave. Like, so I just logged on to YouTube and started watching makeup tutorials. And well, so for the for Halloween and those work parties, you said it was just for a lark at first. Yeah. How did it make you feel as opposed to how did you expect it was going to make you feel? I mean, I thought it would just be like any other costume that I've done over the years, you know, just like, it's just fun. That's part of why we all love Halloween. It's the fantasy of it. It's the fun of it. But there was something more to that. I, I, I saw it as an art form, you know, like the creativity that goes into learning how to change how you look so dramatically, you know, like change, like the, the makeup artistry of it, the costuming of it, wigs are their own art form, you know, like styling a wig, it's its own thing. And I was just really drawn to all of it. And it made me feel like powerful, you know, it made me feel um, like brave in a way that I hadn't have not always been able to access. And mm. so I think there was and, and it also just connected me back to, it, I tell everybody like drags for me started as inner child work. Like it connected me back to the young kid who was getting in trouble for like ruining my mom's lipstick tubes mm. and um, like letting me basically give permission to that kid to like follow through on those impulses and not feel shame for them. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was like a really dramatic change for me and, and really like profound experience when I started doing that and it was just in my in my bedroom you know during pandemic and there was there was never any intent to become a drag queen there was no intent to like have a whole second career um in the second half of my life where I would I didn't I didn't even think about like bringing music into it at first um that came later and so it was it was a time of like just pure exploration and seeing how things made me feel. How did you first incorporate music into it? Well, it started uh, really as, so I lived with um, another couple. My husband and I house shared in San Diego because it's San Diego. And unless you make real good money, you can't afford to live there. So we house shared with another couple who were both musicians. And, you know, we logged on the first week of lockdown. We decided to just log on to Facebook and live stream us singing some cover songs and a bunch of our friends showed up and that was birthed our heathen, we called it heathen happy hour. And so every Thursday night <laughs> we would, yeah, just log on live stream. And, you know, like we got more professional as pandemic went on, like everybody did, we bought lighting and had good mics. And uh, so by the end, you know, they were sounding and looking pretty good. Um, but I think it was, the second or third week of that, like, I just decided to show up in drag because I had, you know, started painting my face and I was like, let's just do this again for a lark. It'll be fun. But we we did um, cover songs just every every Thursday night, like themed. We would have a themed night and say, like, I don't know, royalty and Rihanna. So it'd be like songs yeah. by Queen and Rihanna songs or, whatever, you know, like any any song that had King or Queen in it or whatever. Yeah. And um, uh. And so I, I was just singing songs in drag 
to a camera, like to Facebook. Uh, and that was the first time I like, you know, was doing music in drag. But even then I wasn't like thinking like, oh, this could be something. It took a few months, I think, of doing that before I was like, this is really fun. And I feel like it makes me a better performer or at least a different performer. You know, I can perform in ways that I just never felt comfortable as like Matthew Blake. And I can just be a little more rowdy or fun or whatever, like cheeky. And it just opened up new like mental like synapses were firing, I guess. I don't know, like neurons were firing. So over time, I just, I don't, I don't know when I like what the thing was that made me decide to record a whole record as Flamey, but um, I don't know. At one point I was just, I went to my roommate who is, who was a, a music producer. And I was like, Hey, like, how would you feel about like producing a little EP for Flamey if I, if I had some songs? Um, and that was the other thing. I think I started writing mm. in Flamey's voice and that's probably more than anything else. What opened that door for me was realizing that writing um, it, in the voice of like not Matthew Blake, but just this other character, like it made me, it made me probably a better writer, but for sure it, it just gave me like new ways to say things. Yeah. So I don't know that it was just kind of a very slow, natural evolution to get to the point where I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. let's try to record some songs. So when you put the album out, it's been about 13 months now, it came out at the beginning of October of last year. When you first <laughs> put it out, how was it? received just at the you know the initial couple months yeah i mean it did not get a ton of attention i mean i had not um i didn't have any strong ties to the music industry i didn't have like i didn't know how to uh i didn't know how to market it you know so it really was just me like word of mouth talking to friends friends telling friends but it still did i for me it did really well like um it, it, it did better than any of the, of the music I've ever released like prior to that, like more than girl boy, more than Matthew Blake stuff. And I think that's mostly attributable, attributable to the fact that I did have a couple like videos go viral on TikTok during the pandemic. So flamey had like a pretty sizable TikTok following yeah. and I tried to leverage that as best I could. And so it did okay. You know, nothing, nothing crazy, nothing major, but like, I was pleased. I was like, oh, wow. I can't even remember like what the streams were in those first few months. But, you know, it was, it was a lot of streams for me. Yeah. It, and so as it's simmering down a little bit or, or maybe we think it's simmering down, right, initially, if you, you have because we have that initial release period, right? And then you sit there and you go, OK, now what? Yeah. Um, but several months later, now there's there's 10 songs on the record, I believe, right? Yeah. And yeah. the final song, um, the final song, Good Day, you've got uh, Derek Webb singing on it with you. Yeah. Um, and what what group was Derek Webb with? Again, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting. Derek was in a, a group called Cademan's Call, and okay. they were a big folk Christian band, like in the 90s, early 2000s. So you've got, uh, you've got Derek featuring on one of the songs with you. Yeah. Um, and you said you had it at the end of the record because you wanted people to feel empowered at the end of the record. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's why you placed it there. I don't, I mean, you, maybe you didn't know that that was going to be the initial song that popped off. Right. Yeah. No. Um, and what ended up happening, I mean, I'll, I'll let you tell the story, but 
but just from what I saw on on your channel when this was all going on, and this was a little bit after, like, I think right after Kerrville. Just after, yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, you were one of the Kerrville winners, uh, and that's where we met. And then pretty mm-hmm. much right after that, um, it, do you say is it, uh, Foyt, is that his last name? Yeah, I think that's yeah, how you say it. Sean Foyt or somebody. But some somebody uh, who is a, a worship leader or a something um, said something negative about the song. In, well, in, 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 I guess, collaborating with you, Derek Webb mm-hmm. collaborating with you, said yeah. something negative about it on Twitter. Um, I, th- I think in hopes to put you down, but it, it kind of ended up having an opposite effect. So first off, I mean, what, what summarizing, what was that tweet and how did you initially feel when it happened? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he just basically, I don't know what his goal was other than to just, well, yeah, I do. Of course I do. Because this is the kind of person who like uses fear to rile up the kind of conservative right-wing base and and fear is a powerful motivator especially for that group because they just are afraid of everything they are like i don't they're just afraid of everything so he was talking about derek who was he no longer identifies as christian or in a christian band or anything like that's not part of his current identity but i guess sean didn't know that and so sean was like well, this is the end goal of deconstruction, which is kind of the buzzword for people who are thinking critically about their inherited faith for the first time in their lives. Um, He's like, this is the end goal of deconstruction, like a a Christian artist collaborating with a drag queen. So like, that was just funny to me because like in that scenario, I was actually the Christian artist. Like I was the one who had released my record in the Christian genre and Derek was like no longer identifying as Christian. But um, I, I mean, it didn't make me feel any kind of way because I'm I was, at that point I was really used to getting, like, despite the fact that you know the album hadn't popped off the way it has since, like, I still got plenty of hate comments and like just being a drag queen and especially one who was like singing Christian music or Christian music in the Christian genre, like I, I was very used to getting people who were like unhappy with me doing that. So I didn't really think anything of it other than like, it was Derek who pointed it out to me and was like, Hey, like Sean Foyt's actually kind of a big deal in that world. Like he's got half a million followers or something like that. And um, I was like, okay, cool. Like I'll have some fun with it. Like I do with a lot of hate comments. And I just wrote back, Oh, this isn't the end goal, babe. We're just getting started. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, replied to that um well it's a good thing that hardly anyone listens to you or cares what you do and that was when i was like okay like let's that's that's a challenge right like i'm yeah game on so that was when i went to like my tiktok followers where i did have you know a pretty sizable audience and i was like hey y'all here's what's happening like we got this like maga worship leader coming for me on Twitter and he doesn't know about you. I don't think he doesn't know that I've got like, you know, whatever it was, 50,000 TikTok followers at the time. And what do you say? We try to get my song to chart on a good day. This song that I'd have with Derek that had already been out for 10 months. Let's see if we can get it to chart on the iTunes charts. And I only knew to do that because I had had another friend, an out queer artist, his name's Semler, 
um, was the first out queer artist to ever have a number one song on that chart. And I was like, well, let's see if we can follow in Semler's footsteps and I'll be the first drag queen to ever have a number one Christian song on the iTunes chart. And honestly, I didn't know how it would go. You know, like those things can flop real hard. It just depends on the algorithm, like whether TikTok wants to show that video or not. But fortunately, it took off. And literally the next day, like 24 hours later, I had the number one song on that chart, which was crazy. Wow. <laughs> 24 and, and you were you were vulnerable in how you asked too you know you said hey this is a small army and it's a long shot but here's my goal here's why it's important to me here's why you know and and it was very uh you know i think people respond to honesty right and and it's a very yeah. vulnerable and honest video but 24 hours and then and then bang number yeah. and do you do you know it all statistically what that looks like i have no idea how many plays get to you a number one yeah. iTunes. I'm just now getting, um, you know, because there's such a delay on the reporting back as an independent artist, you know, through your distributor, there's such a delay. So I'm just now getting like some of that data back on my DistroKid to see. And I haven't dug into it yet. Um, uh, I, I, I mean, I know like streaming wise, like I jumped to like, gosh, I can't even remember what what that that month my spotify streams were but they were in like the tens of thousands whereas like up to that point i had had like you know 300 monthly listeners or something like that so streaming wise you know i saw a massive jump but the itunes chart is just literally based on whether people will spend that 99 cents to download the mp3 or not it's not right. based on streams so that information i'm just now getting and i haven't dug into it yet to see what it actually was but um, definitely, like, like my, my social media follower accounts, you know, skyrocketed. My streams skyrocketed on Spotify and Apple Music. So it had an impact. It had a really big impact for sure. And along with having a positive impact, I mean, I, you know, I know there's been a lot of haters. A lot of people have said some really terrible things. <laughs> yeah. They've said it to an entire church congregations yeah. right down the road from my house. You know, it's, <laughs> uh, there's been a lot of, you know, good, and, good and ugly, right. In terms of how it's yeah. been, how it's been received. Um, do you, I mean, what is the effect of that on, on you? Is it always just motivation to continue on? Do you have days where you think, ah, oh, man, are you kidding me? Not today. I, yeah. you know, do you get close to a breaking point with it ever? You know, if you had asked me that question like a week and a half ago, I could have answered honestly, no, it's always like fuel. It's always motivating. I can almost always laugh at laugh at it when there's those crazy haters and all the crazy messages um and then i don't know like i think i did hit a threshold over the past like seven to ten days and there was just there was one girl in particular it had been a hard day of just like a lot of you know comments or whatever or a hard week or whatever and then this one girl like posted this video that's like addressing the flamey grant controversy and i was just like what 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 is this like yeah controversy i'm literally just a songwriter recording and putting out my music like mm -hmm. what is going on and i watched her video and she like just immediately launched into the um just the language i've heard a million times but something about 
her calling me a, an abomination that day just like did get to me and like I made a response video that I've since taken down because like I woke up the next morning and looked at it and I was like, oh, that's not, that's not the cutest look. Like let's, <laughs> that's not uh, how I want to yeah. react and respond to these people. Um, so yeah, I guess I didn't think that I had a, I don't know. I, I've always thought of myself as like just being able to handle that stuff fine. And like, it doesn't affect me the way it affects a lot of people. And so many people are like, come to me and with that question they're like I'm like oh, oh my god are you okay like there's so much hate and I'm like are you kidding me I love it like I just, <laughs> let's yeah. spin it into gold like yeah. make lemonade and uh but I don't know I guess I have a I have a threshold too because that day I hit it and I was just like ah these freaking people I all I want to do is just make my music like I don't want to have to fight a I I I don't want to feel like every minute of my existence is this like activism or having to respond to this stuff and take a stand. Like, right. It just does get exhausting after a while. Yeah. I, I can imagine. And you say you just want to make your music. And I, I mean, I, everybody does. Uh, I, I mean that, that makes music probably, but um, there's, there's there's a story too you know that's in there's and and there's a story behind so much music that does blow up right is is there's a story yeah. and it's timely but something you've done a great job too i think is is accepting it and doing such a great job of presenting who you are um and it, you know it looks very authentic because it is right and mm. and uh you know you've been able to i think balance the two worlds of of haters and praise and also just trying to do your thing and, yeah. um, you know. Yeah. You know, it's wild that, um, I appreciate you using that word authentic and I hope that people do feel that way because obviously drag is a art form that is an exaggeration and, uh, you, some might say it's fake, you know, like, like the, I'm, I'm, I'm not a woman. I'm painting myself to look, uh, you know, that way, but um, something about drag while being this art form that is, you know, changing you into something else, at the same time, it kind of, well, RuPaul always says drag doesn't change who you are, it reveals who you are, and I think mm. there's some real truth to that, because I feel more at home and in my body and just, like, able to be authentically myself as flamey sometimes than I do like when I'm just me. So it's, it's, it is, it's an exaggeration, but it's what it's exaggerating are like my truest feelings and my, the, my truest sense of self. So it's, uh, yeah, it's authentic in that way. I was going to bring up, uh, one of your songs and then I ended up reading about it uh, through, at first through the Rolling Stone article that I actually just checked out this morning. Um, but I, I'll, I'll start off by talking about the song, um, Esther Ruth and Rahab. And you played it. I've heard you play it before. In fact, was it one of your Kerrville songs? I don't even it, remember. It was, yeah. Okay, so I first heard it at, at Kerrville. Um, but you played it both nights that that we played together in St. Louis and Cincinnati last week and um with Sadie Gustafson Zook and Hallie Neal. Shout outs. Yes. Um shout out. You played the song and there's 
there's the line, and and I love lyrics. You know, as a songwriter fan, as a songwriter, I love stuff that's either very poetic, meaning just imagery, but then there's a line that's just bang, right? Not we're not like it's just very. I don't know if I'm explaining this well, but something that's very poetic, but then there's a line that just is very. There's no. There's nothing uh, to unveil there. This is what the line means. And, yeah. and that's, that song has that quality when you get to the line. And I guess the lesson there was God would only hear a prayer when it came from someone with a cock. Yep. <laughs> the rest of the song is, and not that it doesn't rhyme. I don't mean poetic in a rhymy way. I mean poetic yeah. in a imagery way. And then, it, it, or in a... I'm at a loss for the word I'm looking for, but that line is, you can't mistake what that line's about. You can't me interpret it this way and you interpret it that way. The line is what it is. Yeah. Um, and I, it, I, it makes the song cut, right? We love, I want songs that cut in my life. I'm a songwriter. Um, yeah. and so I, I love that song. And then the full circle of that is that I was, reading the Rolling Stone article this morning, then reading some other articles by, by other people kind of in response to uh, the latest headline, which is, um, and you were chatting about this last week when we met up at the coffee shop, you had just chatted with Rolling Stone. Mm-hmm. Um, they were asking you about your album, which was in the Grammy category for Best Christian Album, getting tossed out but they didn't tell you why. They just put it in a different category. Yeah. Uh, a vocal category. Is that right? Yeah. Best pop vocal. <laughs> well, the best pop vocal, which is also an honor, right? But. Yeah. I'm just, I'm right up there with like Taylor Swift and Olivia Rodriguez. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but anyway, you, um, they, you kind of found out why, right? It, it yeah. seems like they responded. And why is it that you got moved out of that category? Uh, well, the, the the Grammys. So, yeah, we submitted the album in the uh, best contemporary Christian album category because that is that's the genre I released it in. And um, and we didn't hear anything. And then the day before the first round of Grammy voting ended, I got a screenshot from an Academy member who like sent me, sent me, showed me my album and the screenshot was like, Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to vote for you in best pop vocal. And I was like, cool. That's awesome. Wait, what best pop vocal? (laughs) What's what happened? So yeah, we just, we didn't know why it was moved. I mean, obviously I had my assumptions, um, but we, you know, tried to figure that out. We tried to look for guidelines in the Grammy submission, you know, uh, uh, the description for each of those categories and everything there was nothing there was like it didn't say anything other than like this category rep, uh, recognizes achievement in uh, contemporary christian pop latin rock like just a bunch of genres so another no other guidelines and so it was weird and you know we suspected that there was some like religious gatekeeping happening in that in that like screening committee, that Grammy screening committee, screening committee. Um, although maybe they were a screaming committee too. I don't know. Wasn't there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, they, uh, 
so so that's why we kind of like wrote up a press release and like sent it out to a couple people and um uh, and it was i think it was actually paste magazine was the first one that like got a response back from the academy and said oh it's standard practice for this committee to move albums that have explicit language out because christianity i guess christians like, don't curse christians don't curse um which is untrue <laughs> <laughs> i know quite a few of them who do and um so you know it's it's uh it's an unfortunate reality that we've got that kind of uh mindset about christian music uh, i'm not surprised by it you know it doesn't it's not shocking and i obviously first of all i never like even imagined that i would have a grammy eligible album like that's so i was not making this record for awards that's not what it was about but you know after the year i've had it felt like this would be a cool place to try and see some representation in a christian category and it felt like the grammys might be the place to do that because you know maybe they're not the most progressive uh body but they're certainly more progressive than like the doves which are the christian music awards or, or some other things so it was yeah it was purely a uh, another effort to like blaze a bit of a trail and and try to have some some representation of queer people in christian music and unfortunately even the grammys do not appear to be ready for that well but at the same time it seems like everybody that's tried to push you down or oppose what you're doing has added flames <laughs> i would say no pun intended but i'd been planning it for the last three sentences uh add flames to the fire and it's i, I mean that's happened right i mean with 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 sean foyt that happened with with this it happened i mean uh yeah, you know the Rolling Stone found out about it and, and wanted to write about it. Um, yeah, you know, so in the in the grand scheme of the movement, it seems like it's it's a, a positive thing, um, even yeah. if it doesn't win this year, right? It seems like it's a positive thing in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. Like having the conversation is the point, and so I, you know, it would have happened obviously if if I had been nominated, there would have been conversation about being about there being a drag queen nominee and it now it's happening because I wasn't nominated. So yeah, either way, having the conversation is the point. Like we've, in my view, we have to uh, hold these institutions accountable for the way that they have completely steamrolled or ignored or, you know, intentionally or unintentionally done harm to the queer community, to people who love this music. Like I grew up loving this music and I'm queer. And I know so many other people who are just like me um, in the same boat. And so it's, first of all, like a bad business decision to like disregard or other or hurt people who love your product. Like, um and and second of all it's just not representative of christianity in america like i know evangelicalism is loud and i know it's very power hungry and like politically motivated but that's not the only 
like evangelicalism is still a sect of Christianity. It does not represent the entire religion. And there are so many people out there who are progressive and inclusive and affirming. And um, we should be represented in those categories too. It should not be dominated just by the like Christian nationalists. So that's why I think it's important to have those conversations. And yeah, why I'm really grateful that Rolling Stone and Pace and others like decided to pick up that story. There's, do you feel at all that you might be one of the founding artists of a new niche market of a, of a new movement? I mean, you, it's, um, you know, do you think about the fact that you're leading something that might empower, um, a drag queen who's in sixth grade right now, not, not even doing it yet. Doesn't even know they want to, or maybe they do and they feel afraid, but a sixth grader that is going to come up because of, of something that you've, a path that you've started uh, creating and, and have mainstream success from it. Yeah. Like I, I mean, first of all, I'm not the, like, I'm not on the front lines of this thing by any means. There are plenty of sure. uh, artists who have come out, like Christian artists who have come out, like Jennifer Knapp did this a decade ago. Mm. Um, like I said, Semler, my buddy Semler got a, a number one as an out Christian artist um, before I did. Um, there are, There is like a movement right now. It's small, but it's mighty of like artists who are kind of like settling into this space of like, spiritual music but very queer or just very uh like um not 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 the traditional like praise and worship music that dominates like christian radio like it's people who are asking hard questions or like expressing doubt in their faith and yet still kind of staying in that space so yes like there's this movement of of that of, that's happening and yeah i'm I, i'm very much part of it like i'm i'm getting to know who those artists are. I'm hanging out with some of them. I'm playing shows with some of them. It's really cool to see what's happening and to see the hunger in audiences for this kind of music too. It's really, really cool. Um, the drag, like, I guess, yes, the drag piece is the part that I guess I'm proud to like be on the front line of, I guess. Yeah. Um, there's not really um, another drag performer who's doing specifically what I'm doing right now. And I do hope that it like, gives yeah like blazes a little bit of a trail for that sixth grader or whoever um or they don't have to be in sixth grade like i was 37 when i started doing drag so like maybe there's a a you know a, a drag performer who's just like a little bit younger than me who's like always wanted to explore music and like this would be a genre that they'd want to explore so yeah i hope that there are more drag artists who get to um do you know follow their heart follow their dreams um because of what we're doing do you sometimes feel that you're constantly talking about how you're presenting your material as a drag queen rather than the material itself? I, I, I think the artists, we all have this ego thing where we're like, wait, but I have a new album out. Like, can we talk about the lyrics of track three? Oh, yeah. Do, do you feel that uh, to an extent? I do. And, you know, it's it's like... I've now been very fortunate and privileged to have like two pretty major pieces by Rolling Stone about me. But in both cases, they're kind of about what's happening to me as opposed right. to 
the art I've created. So like, I, I, I think I said this to you when we were together, I was like, I, I look forward to the day when Rolling Stone writes about my music, you know, <laughs> um, which manifests, right? Like I, I believe that can still happen, but yeah. So there's a lot of um, responding and reacting to all of those situations that my existence just creates <laughs> just, just by the fact that I'm doing what I'm doing and less opportunity to talk just about the music directly but there have been some like there have been like several podcasts where like that's they just want to kind of like you did like like let's talk about this lyric um and that's i've those have been really fun and and i notice them because they're different from what i usually get to do or what i what i'm usually asked about so it's it's really cool when the music and the art itself does resonate with people so yeah you know somebody's gotta you, you have to do that that work first of like being the first drag queen to be in christian music like i get it um and then maybe the next album like maybe i'll get to talk more about the music itself you know yeah yeah well have you had anybody have you had anybody that maybe did not approve of what you're doing but then go listen to the album actually give it a real listen check out the lyrics and then come to you and say you know what? This is great, actually. Yeah, actually. I mean, I've had what what has happened a lot has been um, <laughs> uh, I've gotten calls from a lot of like progressive churches who want to bring me in. And a lot of them have been like, I mean, they're progressive, but they're still like a little freaked out about the drag component. They're like, uh, like, we don't know about that. That's new to us or whatever. And so I've been a lot of people's first encounter with drag. And that's been really cool to have those conversations with people who are like, I came not knowing what to expect or a little skeptical or thinking, oh, this is like going to be such a gimmick. Like drag is such a gimmick and there's not going to be any real artistry here. You're just like trying to get attention. And then to get to talk to people after they hear me play or after they listen to the record and hear them say, wow, actually, like, I like your songs. Um, that is, that's been a really cool thing. Um, I, I don't know if I've had like the experience of someone who was like vehemently opposed to me and then like later came back and was like, oh, you changed my mind. Um, but I've definitely had like the people who were just unfamiliar or ignorant of drag in general, like come around and be like, wow, I'm kind of interested now. Um, so, yeah. What's next? What do you see happening over the next year or two Ooh, year or two well the next year um i hope is getting this new music out so i'm just uh just starting the process of um well there'll be a kickstarter soon <laughs> to to fund the next album and um so be recording that in the spring and hope to get it out summer or fall next year and then um I mean, just continuing to tour, like hone my 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 craft and my chops on the road. I really love it. I love it a lot. It's so fun. It's exhausting, but it's like so rewarding to get to connect with people live. And um, I'm going to the UK next summer, so that'll be really fun. And touring? Then, um, sorry? Touring? Yeah, well, yes, I'm working on it. I, I booked at uh, a couple of festivals and then so working on building out a tour around that. So cool. Yeah, very excited for that. So yeah, just continue to make new music and tour. And, um, you know, I have some like long-term 
goals and visions too. Uh, but well, a day at a time, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 It, did we leave anything out of the last, uh, 50 minutes or so? Anything else you wanted to mention? Oh, no, this is great. Thanks for, you're such a comprehensive interviewer. You're like, got the whole, the whole story in this nice, nice tight package. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. And thank you for taking the time. Uh, and if you don't mind, stay on the line with me for one sec, but in front of our audience, thank you so much, Flamey Grant, for chatting with me today. Thanks, Andy. It's, it's a pleasure. <laughs> All right, that's my conversation with Flamey Grant. Great getting to chat, great getting to catch up. Uh, go check out the new single, Fortune Teller, came out on October 24th. And if you haven't heard it yet, go check out the album, Bible Belt Baby, which came out October 6th of last year, 2022. Lots to catch up on. If you haven't, check it out. Wonderful artist. And I'm grateful that they took the time to chat with me this afternoon. Uh, once again, the Patreon, patreon.com slash Andy Sido, S-Y-D-O-W. If you want to support in a monetary way, and if you want to support totally for free, just give it a rating and review wherever you're listening. And it's a huge help, and I appreciate it. All right. Uh, chat with you next time. Thanks. <laughs>